Welcome to The Youth Voice, a new podcast giving young people a voice in politics. Today we're joined by Matt Carthy, TD for Cavan Monaghan and Sinn Féin, spokesperson for agriculture. So thanks for coming on, Matt. Thank you, Dermot. So I think we'll get straight in there uh, with our first question. So a big thing that's being kind of questioned about now is the idea of votes at 16. It's been brought in local elections in Wales and there has been, I suppose, whenever we spoke to Mary Lou MacDonald, she ushered support for it. But one thing that I wanted to clear up was if Sinn Féin are in the next government in the event, because as the polls are showing, Sinn Féin will hopefully do very well and will possibly be in government. Will Sinn Féin bring that in and will it be something that will be on the agenda? Yeah, it will be something that we will will pursue. So there's a number. It's not just in the in the 26 counties. It's not just as easy in most instances as a government deciding that um, votes will be brought in at 16. So for um, general election and referenda, the decision and presidential elections, the actual parameters as to who can vote is actually set out in the constitution. So to change the matters in any of those areas would actually require a, a referendum. I think it would be much more appropriate in the short term if the doll were to legislate to allow 16 and 17 year olds the right to vote in local elections, which they can do by legislation in the first instance. Um, I think that would be um, a really useful first step because I think it would, it, um, it would allow people to participate in democracy where it's closest to them, i.e. their local councils. And generally speaking, an awful lot of what councils do have a direct impact on young people anyway. So councils, for example, um, are in charge of local library services. They have an, um, an impact in terms of educational services because there's a local authority linkage to the ETBs um, and you know, some further education studies. And of course, councils um, deal with roads. So young people need roads as much as anybody else. So and housing and all of those issues. So I think that would be a really good first step. And I think it would also set out uh, you know, on the basis that other people have nothing to fear by giving 16 and 17 year olds um, a, a vote. In fact, it's generally a really good positive thing when we give young people a vote because it engages them in the democratic process. And in many cases, you know, it's younger people that are going to be most affected by political decisions. So it's only right that they would have a say in who actually gets to make those political decisions. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm definitely in support of votes at 16. It's something that I myself would want to see a lot of push for. And I think a big part of it as well is there is the kind of young, younger voters, the 18 to 24 bracket, have a very low turnout. And often if everyone did show up or even a larger percentage, you can completely change, I suppose, the face of the of the Doyle or of this the assembly but i think one thing that needs to also be done is as in schools i know in i suppose the leave insert and in in schools both north and south we do need to see more political education not just as a kind of an additional subject that somebody can take on and spend two years studying because that's all we really have in the north we have the option for a level politics but we're not really taught how to vote we're not taught how election systems work outside of our own class where we have to know that for an exam we're not taught how what different parties believe in their ideologies you know the difference between say Sinn Féin's housing policy compared to that of Fine Gael's or we're not we're not really taught about very key fundamental issues that are important for whenever we do go out in the world we do actually go out and vote 
and our, we end up on the electoral register. So I think something that needs to be brought in is a, a better standard of education in terms of political uh, education. And I think that would Sinn Féin pursue something like that in the event they get into government? Yeah, so I think I think the the prime obviously we want young people to vote in larger numbers primarily because all the evidence says that when young people vote they vote for us. Um, a lot of young people vote for Sinn Féin and for all obvious and natural reasons. Um, Sinn Féin is a party that stands for progressive change, for Irish unity, for addressing the crises that affect young people, particularly such as those in terms of access to housing, access to affordable housing, um, access to um, um, access to healthcare, and of course, um, proper investment in infrastructure to allow young people, say in my county or in your county, Dermot, to actually be able to qualify um, from, um, from university or whatever form of education they go and actually be able to live and work in their own county. The reason they can't is because largely due to political decisions. I'd always be very careful because despite what I like to think, I'm not a young person anymore. And I think it's really careful, important that people like me don't patronize young people and say that you need to be better educated. Young people by and large are very, very politically astute in my experience. They understand what's going on. In fact, I think for those young people who don't vote, I think it's largely because a political party hasn't convinced them that their, their vote is worth using. Um, but back in February, you'll recall during the um, elections, lots of young people did vote and they did vote for Sinn Féin. Um, and not only that, a uh, key part of the election, and it was a unique part of this election, when I was canvassing older people, lots of people were saying to me, I'm going to vote Sinn Féin for the first time in my life because my grandchild has convinced me or because my son or daughter has convinced me. Now, that's a huge dispensation um, change in Irish politics because for generations, people voted because their parents voted a different way. That was flipped on its head. Um, and whenever you see progressive change almost anywhere in the world, but even if we look at the Irish experience, whenever big sea changes have happened, it's been broadly led by young people. So whenever you look at any of the revolutionary movements in Ireland, whether it be 1798, 1916, the Tan War, the civil rights mo movement um, in the North in the 1960s, the hunger strikers, any of those fundamental big issues, and even the, the more recent constitutional referendums that took place in the, in the South, they were changes that were driven by young people becoming engaged in, in politics. So I don't think that I have a, um, a, a role to say that young people need to be better educated. I think politicians need to just become better at listening to, to young people. And when they don't, young people need to be able just to take ownership of the political system, as has happened in so many occasions. And as I cited, you know, the February experience, while Sinn Féin didn't end up in government in the South, we ended up as the largest political party in this state. Um, we're by far the largest party across the 32 counties um, of, of Ireland. That is driven not only by young people voting for Sinn Féin, but young people driving uh, or, and joining Sinn Féin and driving our party and driving our policies in a way that actually better reflects the needs and concerns of young people. So from our point of view, I think, yes, if there's deficiencies in the education system, it's young people who should point them out. And if they tell us that things need to change, then we need to try and implement those changes. Um, but I don't think we need to, um, I need to patronise young people and say, that they need to be better educated because most of them are far better um, and more politically acute than I was at those ages. 
Yeah, and I think I think I suppose Sinn Fein have actually been very good in terms of, in, from my experience anyway, in engagement engaging with young people. I know I've so far I've interviewed Muriel McDonald, and now I'm interviewing you of Sinn Fein. Whereas with a lot of the other parties, it's kind of it's all like, and I'm not saying this as a just from a Sinn Fein perspective, but a lot of the other parties would be less likely to shove their you know their senior politicians in front of the young people, whereas. The older, whereas parties like Sinn Féin, and I suppose a lot of the more progressive northern parties are willing to engage with young people. And I think one thing that will come back to bite the older, more traditional, I suppose, civil war parties will be that idea that they're not really interested in engaging with us young people. And I think that is something that Sinn Féin, I suppose, should probably really try and capitalise on is this engagement. I think you find that with a lot of the well-established parties. I think you can see this very much in Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the SDLP, for example. I'm sure it's the same with other parties. For years, they didn't have to work to get Aaron people's votes. People traditionally voted for them and therefore their sons and daughters also voted for, um, for them. That, as I say, has changed completely. Um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why I have a keen interest, I joined Sinn Féin at a very young age and even at that stage, and that was in the late 90s and early 2000s, and um, the party not only encouraged me, but actually told me, go and do whatever, you know, whatever you think is relevant. So um, myself and Ono Brin and Pierce Doherty and others were involved in the establishment of Oprahim Fein back at that stage. And we were given huge autonomy to be able to develop policies that reflect young people. I was stood um, as a local election candidate for the first time in 1999 when I was just 21 years of age um, and I got elected onto a council where I was the only Sinn Féin member and the party just told me reflect the views and the and the needs of the people who voted you and um, and elected you into the into that p- position so you know oftentimes there's this external narrative of the, of Sinn Féin being this all controlling all um, domineering party the truth is that the experience of every young person I know that joined the party, um, excuse me, was a huge amount of freedom, not only to develop party poli- policies, but also to l- allow our own politics to evolve and mature. Um, so that experience stands to us now. Um, when I see young people, I see a wealth of experience and a wealth of um, knowledge um, and a, we- a wealth of insight that I feel I need to tap into if I'm going to be a successful political representative and if Sinn Féin is going to be able to continue to grow in the time ahead. So we see engagement with young people as opportunities as much for us as, as, uh, and a, as much a benefit to us as it is to the young people themselves. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, the after, I'd have to completely agree with you there. I suppose uh, Sinn Féin has been very good for that and I suppose autonomy as well, it has been very supportive and Sinn Féin has always been kind of in my lifetime and in my experience has always been very supportive of uh, engagement with you even I think my earliest political memory is we took a primary school st- school trip to Stormont and I got to meet M- Mickey Brady and I promised him I'd be a Sinn Féin MLA and I don't know if that's ever going to happen but why I not Dermot well, well hopefully I'll be a TD yeah, yeah well that's better again yeah that's the spirit uh, but I think Sinn Féin has has definitely managed to tap into that kind of supporting young people engaging with us. And I think if Sinn Féin really do manage to do it I th- in the next election and really, really kind of capitalise on I think Sinn Féin will definitely be in government if they do it properly. And they're willing to discuss with the other parties, the more left-leaning parties. 
and that's something I actually wanted to ask about, was in another election, I suppose, who would be the kind of go-to people for a coalition in if it kind of maintained the same way the other parties have done, but kind of keeping that sh- as surge in Sinn Féin support, who would you go for if you can kind of create a coalition with them? Well, um, in the first instance, our job is to maximise the Sinn Féin vote. There is not going to be an alternative government to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael unless there's a very strong alternative party leading that government. And that's clearly where Sinn Féin want to um, want to be at. So um, we need to stand more candidates in the first instance and we need to try and get them um, elected. But my guess is um, you can't preempt what discussions will take place pre-election. But my guess is that in that um, election, when it happens, as we have done in um, previous elections, we will be encouraging um, our supporters to transfer to other candidates for change. Um, and that might mean different things in different in different parts of the country. So clearly in some of the urban areas, that will be um, people before profit and um, solidarity ca- candidates. Um, in other areas, it will be progressive in, independence. Um, but essentially, we'll be asking our our, our voters um, and those who might be inclined in the first instance to give your number one and um, however many Sinn Féin candidates are running, but then to transfer to um, to, um, to to other pro- progressive parties. Um, and then, you know, the the configuration of the of the election will determine almost what happens afterwards. Um, um, clearly, the, if Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have the strength to keep us out, they will use it every time. Um, they will probably always find a willing partner on this occasion. It was disappointing that it was the Green Party. Um, and, you know, we've seen in the past Labour propping up, um, you know, very right-wing regressive Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments over, over the years. So I think our message will be, if you want change, if you want you know, to bring about the progressive change that's required in terms of investment in public services in health and education and crucially in building houses um, and all the other issues of concern, well, then the best way to bring that about is by voting for Sinn Féin. Yeah, and I, a big, I suppose you, you brought up, you mentioned people before profit. I suppose one of the big things that they're hoping to bring through now is they're bringing the first legislation, I think, over 10 years over legalising cannabis in Ireland. I, I suppose it's not one of the main issues in any of the, I suppose, the big threes kind of area of, I suppose, its importance. You know, I don't think it, that was number I don't really ever see that being number one on Sinn Féin's manifesto. But will Sinn Féin be for or against, I suppose, that cannabis legalisation? Yes, yeah, so at the moment our policy is that we're not, and it's for a very simple reason that um, that the, there's enough legal drugs in the country doing enough damage. But having said that, our youth wing, Ograhin Féin, have a very clear policy that um, cannabis should be legalised and there will be many in the party. So I expect that it'll be a debate that will take place um, at Ardeshna, um, and I think it's going to be a very healthy debate. It's a debate that's going on since my days in Ogre, and it happens all the time, and there's some really good, um, y- um, useful debate. And this is the beauty about Sinn Féin. See, when a decision is made by the Ardish, I, as an elected representative, will be bound by that. So I actually, you know, as somebody, I have to say, I, I 
you know, would have engaged in a lot of those student societies and other um, discussions that that took place um, when I was younger. It's not something today that anybody in terms of my constituents uh, and they contact me about an awful lot of issues. Nobody stops me on the street and says, um, will you um, legalize cannabis? Um, so I think it's up to those people who have strong views on it one way or another in the party to have a healthy debate, convince, I suppose, the likes of me as to what the best way forward is. And people can be absolutely um, confident of whenever the Irish um, says that our policy position is um, is one way or another, that I will endorse that, knowing that it has um, come about as a result of intensive dialogue and debate and that all the facts were put before the members and I have absolute confidence in the Sinn Féin members to, to be on the right side of these type of issues. Um, so it's, it's a big debate. So if somebody wants to be part of it, they need to join Sinn Féin and become part of the discussion. So it's just another good reason to join. Yeah, and I suppose another big thing that has been used the past couple of weeks has Sinn Féin have kind of been slated for the tweets and Facebook posts of individual Sinn Féin TDs between the likes of Brian Stanley, who had to address in the Doyle, which, in my opinion, I don't think Brian Stanley's a homophobe. I don't even really... I think that the, the, his tweets were a bit iffy, but I suppose that's old news. But another one was uh, TD Martin Brown, his posts about 9-11 and stuff like that. It's kind of... It's almost reminiscent of this kind of idea of populist politics, would it not be easier for Sinn Féin to kind of actually run like standard politicians and uh, try and avoid scandal like this? You know, in I know in places like America, and I know America is quite a messy political system, but a lot of their elected representatives will have their uh, will have their Facebook pages and Twitter pages run by their office. Is it not easier for Sinn Féin to kind of? I suppose I know you've mentioned there's a lot of autonomy, but kind of having. I suppose, a bit of a tight leash on things like that to avoid scandal like this and to kind of secure that vote in the next election? Well, well um, yeah, I suppose some of our opponents would tell us that we have a really tight leash. They would tell um, and say that everything I do is directed by a group of men in the back room in Belfast. And of course, if I was in Belfast, um, I'd have Arlene Foster telling me that the decisions I make would be based on a group of people in a back room in Dublin. Um, so um, I think, you know, yes, it would be easier. It would absolutely be easier if we stood the same type of people, the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, these people who decided at 16 that they were going to pursue a career in politics and everything um, from that point on was sanitized and ran through focus groups and just completely. Sorry about that there, Derma, can you hear me again? Yep. Yeah, so the point I was making, it would be absolutely much easier if everything we did was um, was you know sanitized and, and done on the basis. The truth of the matter is that most Sinn Féin elected representatives, myself included, never set out to become elected representatives. We're in the first instance community activists and we joined Sinn Féin because we want to see a united Ireland and a better and fairer Ireland and we want to um, we want to bring that about and um, the the growth in the in the party created the situation but let me tell you something about Martin Brown Martin Brown is a man of the people he's a man of Tipperary um, and yes he 
shared something on Facebook that he shouldn't have done. Um, and I'm sure if we all were to look back over you know, our, our previous lives before we entered into politics, there's something stupid we did along the line. The difficulty with social media is that it's there for um, Fine Gael researchers or some of our opponents in the media to actually go and root through because they clearly have, they don't see that there's anything more important going on in society. I'd argue that there's a lot more important going on. But if we want, for example, you know, working class people, women, if we want people to come from outside of the political bubble and be elected and be representing their constituents in, in um, Leinster House, then we, you know, we have to um, assume that many of them won't be these polished um, political anoraks that you know have been um, you know just driven by their own personal ambition. That's what other parties have, and because of that, they probably have less of these type of um, of issues. But it's not, I don't think, what the people want in their elected representatives. They want ordinary ordinary people representing them, you know, and trying to reflect their needs and wants and desires. And the problem with ordinary people is that we're all flawed. And sometimes them flaws become uh, become public, and that creates difficulties. But I don't think it's anything that uh, that we should be you know ashamed of. It's just something that we need to deal with, and you know stop sharing conspiracy theories. Yeah, I as well. I suppose one of the big things in the news at the minute is I suppose everyone knows Brexit's happening. Brexit is looking like it's really either going to really hurt the North or it's going to really hurt the UK. But either way, somebody's getting hurt eh, by the lack of trade deals, by the lack of a Brexit deal, and it could look like we're going to crash out the no deal. One of the big things that has now been brought forward is discussions of the United Ireland. Sinn Féin have really started campaigning for it. I've seen posters up everywhere with Mary Lou Macdonald, you know, saying we need to plan. And it was something I spoke about with Mary Lou. And as well, Fianna Foyle have started kind of starting the conversation with the likes of, uh, with the likes of Naomi Long and Colm Eastwood. Do you think that there is a kind of reluctancy from Fianna Foyle and Fianna Gael the kind of the old style civil war parties do you think there is a reluctancy to push for united ireland because in the event of united ireland Sinn Féin instantly become the largest party overnight and it completely destroys the status quo of what they were used to for the past hundred years or so let me tell you this Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will do what they've always done they will oppose change for as long as they can they are status quo politicians and political parties. They don't like um, change and they certainly don't like people driven change, change that comes from uh, from grassroots communities. But there's always a tipping point in these type of things. I recall, you know, in marriage equality, um, you know, where Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gales presided over the criminalization of um, homosexuality in, um, in one instance. And then they had to be dragged kicking and screaming every point of the way until they, we got to a point where there was um, marriage equality. And now, hey, presto, they're the champions of marriage equality, so much so that they'll turn around and point the finger at people who are actually campaigning for gay rights and call them homophobic. So, you know, things can turn, and I have no doubt that the exact same thing will happen in respect of the United Ireland. Those two parties will resist it. They'll try and suppress debate and discussion, um, but they will come to a point eventually where they realise that the momentum towards it is just unstoppable, and then they'll hop on the on the train and they'll um, try and join in. And I will rejoice when that happens, because I think it's really, really important that we have broad political support and that all of those political parties 
who say they want to see United Ireland actually come on board and um, and work towards and plan for it. Because two things um, I think were big as a result of Brexit in terms of the, the lessons. Um, one is that constitutional change needs to be planned. We don't ever want to be in the situation that the Brexiteers were, where you actually win a referendum and then scratch your head as to wonder what happens next. We want to know what the next steps are going to be. But Brexit is going to be, you know, economically it's a, it's disastrous and it's going to, and depending on what happens over the next number of days, but you know, there are going to be various sectors, but you know, we're going to be worse off to some degree. We just don't know the full extent yet after Brexit. But crucially, and some people think that that's why um, there's been more of a discussion around United Ireland and undoubtedly it was part of it. But to me, what Brexit you know, ignited more than anything was for a whole new generation, it exposed the undemocratic nature of the partition of Ireland because a majority of the people in the North voted to remain part of the European Union. And we've had British governments, in fact, Irish governments as well and lots of others, you know, lecturing us for years saying that there could be no um, change to the constitutional status of the North of Ireland unless a majority of the people there agreed to it. But that's exactly what the British government did last January and that's what's going to be um, exposed this coming January is um, a fundamental constitutional change that has been imposed on the North of Ireland against the democratic wishes of the people who live there. And to me, I think that has awoken um, a, a, a realisation with that whole new generation that no matter what political system we put in place in the North, and we can undo you know, an awful lot of the wrongs of the Northern state, but no matter what we do, there is a fundamental you know, um, undemocratic route at the cause of uh, at the heart of that state and that can only be uncome by abolishing the border and allowing the Irish people to reach our full destiny and reach our full potential um, on our own terms and that means working together north south east and west without interference from a Westminster parliament that clearly doesn't give a damn about any part of um, of our country so to me I think Irish unity is the progressive it's the positive it's the natural objective I think of most Irish people um, and I am a bit you know disappointed that there remains even now a reluctance to even talk about it. I mentioned last week in the doll I asked um, Michal Martin as Taoiseach you know if he would um, get the shared island unit within his department to carry out an economic appraisal of not only the benefits but also the challenges that a United Ireland would bring so that we'd have a little bit of clarity on those um, on those questions. He responded by asking me why I hadn't condemned um, an IRA action that took place when I was two years of age. So, you know, that's just, that's a mindset that is stuck in the past. That's the politics of the past. To me, Irish unity is the politics of the future. It's the big progressive and um, political objective of our time. And I think the more people that come on, on board, the better. So it's good when you see Fianna Fáil and the Alliance Party and the SDLP discussing these issues because I've always been of the view that a united Ireland won't be brought about by Sinn Féin on our own. But what I'd say to those other parties, it won't be brought about without us either. We are the largest party on the island of Ireland. That's just the political reality. And we are the only party that has consistently articulated the merits of Irish unity. So we need to be part of the conversations as well. We don't need to dominate it. We don't want to dominate it. We don't want to have exclusive ownership of the aspiration to unite our country. What we want above all else is for all political, political voices to join with us in having that big conversation because 
if you believe, as I do, that a united Ireland is in the best interests of the majority of people who live here. In fact, I would say all of the people who live in our country, we will be better off politically, economically, socially in a united Ireland. Well, then the outworking of that is as a political representative, not only do we have a right to pursue that, but we actually have an obligation. And that obligation goes beyond Sinn Féin representatives. That goes across the board and particularly it goes to the heart of government in Dublin. They have a responsibility and I hope and I believe that in time they will take that responsibility on board. Yeah, I to- I think totally have to agree. And as well, that kind of, there is, I suppose, the fear amongst people that Sinn Féin will dominate the conversation. But as, as you've said, Sinn Féin don't want to. I th- And I think we're going to wrap it up there as well. So thank you so much for coming on. And, Dermot, that was uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you. So yeah, thank you, and I and I look we'll forward there. when we're, we're we're sitting beside each other in, as t- fellow TDs in an All Ireland. Be be shin on law. Girl, my. Slangfall. Slang.